If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to open to Luke 14. We're going to look there today. There's this old fable about an emperor who years ago gathered together the wisest people in his kingdom. And he said, I want you to assemble all of the great knowledge of our civilizations so that it will be able for, uh, available for future generations. And they worked years and they finally returned with ten bound volumes. And the emperor glanced at the stack of books and he said, it's too long. So the sages scurried back to work and didn't return until they edited ten volumes down to one. And they handed it to the emperor and he refused to open it. He said it is still too lengthy. So for the next two years they condensed this book into one paragraph. But the emperor still wasn't satisfied. So finally the wise people came back with a single sentence inscribed on an index card. And the emperor read it and he smiled and he said this is perfect. Now future generations will understand why we have been so successful. All the genius we possess is contained in this one solitary phrase. In the sentence, there is no free lunch. <laughs> you know, the truth of the matter is whether you decide to eat hot dogs or filet mignon depends on how high price you're willing to pay for that meal. In other words, greatness depends upon sacrifice. This weekend we're celebrating Memorial Day and we're remembering the sacrifice that so many gave for us. And we honor those that gave the ultimate sacrifice, their lives. Sacrifice is what Jesus is talking about in this passage that we're going to study today. In fact, in the classic sermonic form, Jesus first gives an explanation of sacrifice. And then he gives us an illustration of sacrifice. And then he makes an application for sacrifice. Look with me, Luke 14, starting with verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So verse 25 said Jesus is speaking to large crowds. See, he wasn't just talking to his core followers, to just the 12. He was talking to everybody, right? We would call this crowd groupies. Three different times in this passage, verses 26, 27, and 33. Jesus says, unless you meet these certain conditions, you cannot be my disciple. Quite frankly, Jesus was trying to thin out the ranks. You know, unlike most churches today, Jesus wasn't looking for a crowd. He was looking for commitments. He wasn't looking for decisions. He wanted disciples. And though we rarely refer to Christians today as disciples, that was the most common name used for followers of Jesus back then. In fact, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, Christians were called disciples 264 times. And what Jesus teaches here about being a disciple is the lesson we need to learn if we're going to achieve greatness, whether as individuals or together as the church. Because you see, nothing great will ever happen without sacrifice. And first it's here. There is a decision that must be determined. Listen again to verse 26. 
He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now this verse has caused a lot of unnecessary problems through the years. Because it kind of sounds like Jesus is telling us that we should hate the ones that we love the most. But that's not it at all. I mean, this same Jesus who tells us, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, he wouldn't turn around and say, yes, but hate your families. <laughs> no, in this verse, the old adage is true that everything is relative. Right? That word hate, it means to love less. I mean, the real sense is found in Matthew 10, 37. Jesus says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. See, one of the reasons Jesus told the crowds this was 2,000 years ago, if you gave your life to Jesus, you most likely would have to give up your family, especially if you were Jewish. Even today in parts of the world, like Muslim countries, if a Muslim converts to Christ, he's immediately disowned by his family, oftentimes put under the curse of death. So Jesus made this demand because he's dealing with the question of priority. If you're going to follow Jesus, he must be your first love. He won't take second place to anyone or anything. Now ladies, imagine with me if uh, your husband came to you before you were married and, and he proposed to you. And he said this, I want you to marry me, but under one condition. If down the road another woman comes into my life and I like her, I love her more than you, you have to leave. <laughs> I mean, is there a woman on this planet that would accept that proposal? I hope not. I mean, no woman should accept that because whenever a man marries a woman, that woman deserves to be the only woman in his life. That's the decision that was made when they got married. Well, anything that you put above Jesus becomes your Lord. And see, he demands to be the only Lord of your life. I read about a Southern Baptist leader proposed to his wife and he said this, Sweetheart, would you be willing to take second place in my life for the rest of my life? In other words, he was saying, if you're willing to be second to Jesus, then we can get married. You see, there is a sacrifice that you must make to take that first step towards Jesus. He has to come first. I had a family, I had a friends, I had a finances, I had of everything. You have to make that sacrifice. There's also a price that must be paid. Listen again, verse 27. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. See, although salvation is free, it is not cheap. Just like Jesus paid a price in order to save you, you must pay a price in order to serve him. See, it not only pays to serve Jesus, it costs to serve Jesus. And that's going to turn some people off. I mean, it turned a lot of people off in his day. Billy Graham once said this, I think the main reason people do not come to Christ is because they don't want to pay the price. But Christ will not compromise and he will not negotiate. See, when Jesus spoke about bearing the cross, understand what the cross represented back then. I mean, today we would talk about an electric chair or the gas chamber. 
Because a cross was a symbol of one thing, death. And there's only one reason a man would take up his cross, and that's he was going to die. See, Jesus doesn't just want you to live for him. He wants you to die with him. That's why when he goes on to say in verse 26, you must love him more than your own life. (laughs) If you're going to be his disciple, your number one ambition must be to fulfill whatever his ambition is for you. The cross must always come before commitments. The cross must always come before the crown. Jesus makes it plain. If you're not willing to die to yourself, to your ambitions, to your goals, to your desires, if you're not willing to surrender your life completely to him, you cannot be his disciple. I mean, if you want to win a popularity contest in the world, don't bother following Jesus. Because the world mocked him, and they will mock you. The world scorned him, and it will scorn you. The world rejected him, and it will reject you. But quite frankly, that is a small price to pay when you consider the benefit of becoming his disciple, of living for him, and living with him for all eternity. Someone once asked George Mueller, great prayer warrior and Christian man, they said, what is the secret of your great life? And after some thought, he said, you know, there was the day when George Mueller died. (laughs) That is, he was willing to make any sacrifice in order to please Jesus, in order to be his follower. You go back, study anything that's ever been achieved of any notoriety whatsoever, and you're going to find someplace, somewhere, somehow, someone paid a price. Somebody made a great sacrifice. I mean, we live in this country, right? The United States of America, because our founding fathers made a great sacrifice paid a heavy price. The Declaration of Independence is the birth certificate of the U.S. of A., right? The 56 signers of that declaration made a bold promise to one another. When they signed it, they pledged our lives, our fortunes, and sacred honor. Were those just empty words? Well, of the 56 courageous men, five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Nine died in war, either from hardship or from bullets. Twelve had their homes sacked, looted, burned, or occupied by the enemy. Two men lost their sons in battle. One had two sons captured. Nine plantation owners had their homes burned to the ground. The farms and livestock of John Hart of New New Jersey were destroyed. His wife died trying to avoid capture. His health was ruined. Richard Stockton, another signer, was captured, made a prisoner of war, and lost his health. Came home to find he had been burned. And because under pressure he signed an amnesty declaration, his own friends shunned him. See, not only is this country here because of sacrifice, the church is here because of sacrifice. It's here because 11 disciples obeyed the commands of Jesus to go into all the world and to make disciples. But think about what happened to those men. James, a brother of Jesus, James, the son of Zebedee, were killed by mobs. Matthew was run through with a sword. Philip was hanged. Bartholomew was slain. Andrew was crucified. Thomas was killed with a lance. Thaddeus was shot with arrows. Simon the Zealot was crucified. Peter was crucified upside down. The Apostle John died alone on the island of Patmos. Greatness greatness means there is going to be a price to be paid. It always has meant that, and it always will. There's also a cost to be counted. There is a demand to discipleship. 
Jesus exhorts this crowd to think through carefully before they decide they're going to make a commitment to him. Because there is a cost. You know, too often we worry about the price of something. We should consider the cost of something. Because there is a big difference between price and cost. Take, for example, a $100,000 Mercedes. Right? The price is the same for everyone that wants to buy this. But the cost is far less to Bill Gates than it is to me. <laughs> See, there is a cost to be counted to follow Jesus. And he illustrates that. He tells them two parables. Verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? The Christian life is like a strong tower. It has to be a tower of work and of worship and of witness. But there is a tremendous cost in building this tower. You know why so many Christians drop out of church? So many Christians fall by the wayside and disappear? Because they did not count the cost. Jesus points out why the hordes of hell and the hypocrites of this world laughed at and mocked and criticized the church. Verse 29. For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. The number one problem with, with church members is half-finished towers. How many people do you know ran one lap of the Christian life and quit? Or fought one round and quit? Or played one quarter and quit? If we're not careful, we'll end up with half-finished towers. See, what matters in a race is not how fast you start, but it's how strong you finish. And I'll tell you, nothing breaks a pastor's heart more. Nothing keeps them up at night more than, than seeing Christians that used to do something. They used to tithe. They used to be soul winners. They used to serve in Sunday school. They used to sing in the choir. They used to serve. They used to, used to, used to. Then Jesus gives a second parable. Verse 31. Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? The Christian life is not a frolic. It's a fight. It's a battle. We have been called to be soldiers of the cross. And in this army, there can be no cowards because the odds are too great. I mean, this king was facing odds of two to one. And we face odds today more like three to one because we battle the world our flesh, and the devil. They're all against us. But it shouldn't discourage us. Because we also know that God plus one is a majority. We must be people of courage who will make the sacrifice and face any fear and fight any foe knowing with Jesus we will not lose. We can't be cowards and be disciples. We can't be compromisers and be disciples. Continue, verse 32. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. We've been called to be soldiers, not diplomats. I mean, the average Christian wants to be just godly enough to be accepted by the Lord and just worldly enough to be accepted by the world. But that doesn't work. That's why Jesus ends it this way in verse 33. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has 
cannot be my disciple. To say hello to Jesus, you have to say goodbye to the world. I read a story about a man. He was at Hartsfield International and he was worried about missing his plane. And he didn't have a wristwatch and he couldn't find a clock. And so he ran up to a total stranger and he said, excuse me, can you give me the time? And the stranger said, of course. And he sat down these two large suitcases he was carrying and he looked at the watch on his wrist. And he said, well, it's exactly 5.09. The temperature outside is 73 degrees. It's supposed to rain tonight. In London, the sky is clear and the temperature is 46. The barometer reading is 29.14 and falling. In Singapore, the sun is shining bright and 81 degrees. By the, wo- by the way, the moon should be full tonight as you fly out of Atlanta. And the man interrupted him and said, your watch tells you all that? And I said, yes, that and so much more. See, I've invented this and there's no other timepiece like it in the world. It can tell you what Wall Street is doing. It can give you individual stock prices. It keeps up to 50,000 names, addresses, and phone numbers. With a touch of a button, you can send an email or surf the internet. The man said, that's unbelievable. I must buy this watch. I will give you $5,000 for it right now. Well, the stranger reached down and picked up his suitcases and he said, oh, sorry, it's not for sale. And the man said, wait a minute, I'll pay you $10,000. The guy said, I can't sell it. I plan to give it to my son for his 21st birthday. I invented it for him to enjoy. And the man said, listen, I will pay you $50,000 right now. Here's the money. And the stranger paused for a moment and said, 50000 Okay, it's yours. Well, the man was elated. He paid the stranger. He took the watch, put it on his wrist with glee and said, thanks, and began to walk away. And the stranger looked at him and said, wait, you need these. And with a big smile, he handed the man these two huge, heavy suitcases. And he said, don't forget the batteries. <laughs> See, when it comes to serving Jesus, you have to count the cost. And then finally, there is a reward that will be reaped. Don't get the idea that sacrifice is negative. It's positive. The football team that sacrifices on the practice field and in the weight room wears the championship ring. The athlete that sacrifices on the practice field and the track wins the gold medal. No sacrifice you could ever make for Jesus possibly could compare to the reward you get for making that sacrifice. Jesus said this in Mark 10, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake in the gospel, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. It always makes me think about David Livingston. He was a brilliant scholar, studied Greek theology, went to Glasgow University, and graduated with a degree in medicine. Could have been anything he wanted. Professor, author, doctor. But God saved him and called him to the mission field. In the course of time, he went to Africa. And at the time, no white man had ever entered the interior of Africa. He was going to a place deep into the darkest parts of Africa where no missionary had ever been. No gospel had been preached. No Christ had been shared. No salvation offered. And the sacrifice he made was incredible. After 16 years, he went to England for the first time. He had become this international celebrity, which 
really meant nothing to him. And he was invited to speak at the University of Glasgow where he had graduated. Now the custom of the day for undergraduates was to heckle the visiting speakers. So they were ready with their toy trumpets and whistles and noisemakers. And Livingston was introduced and they were all ready to make fun of him and laugh at him. And then they saw him. He came to this platform. His body was emaciated, his skin a dark brown from 16 years in the African sun. His face wrinkled from the ravages of several American fevers. He was half deaf, half blind. And before he could even begin to speak, the students did something unheard of. They put their noisemakers down, silently all stood to their feet, out of respect for this man of God. Because they knew they were looking at the epitome of sacrifice. Here was a life that was sacrificed for God and for his fellow man. And throughout his entire speech, not one student sat down and not one student said a word. See, was the sacrifice worth it? Well, consider this. 25 years after his death, there were 10 million Christians in Africa. Today, there are over 300 million. Nothing great has ever done without sacrifice. But any sacrifice for Jesus is always great. So let me just ask you this morning as we close, what are you willing to sacrifice for Jesus? Are you willing to sacrifice your life for him? I mean, if that's what you want, if that's what you desire, come. Come down and visit with me. Stop by the church this week and talk to me. So we can count the costs together so we can see the reward that lays ahead. But for those of us that, that have already given our lives to Christ, that, that are disciples of Jesus, what are you willing to sacrifice today, this week for him? What are you willing to give up so that your neighbor, your, your family member, your friend, your coworker, your classmate, so that they can come to know a God that loves them and sent their son to die for them. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for so many who have gone before us, sacrificed for us, so that we can have the freedoms that we have. And Lord, we thank you even more for the men and women before us who have sacrificed everything so that we can know about your love that we can know about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us. And now it's our turn. So Lord, I pray for each and every one of us, you give us the courage to stand boldly to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that others can come to know you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.